All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, saltcityhoops.com, by the way. We're the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. The 4-0 preseason Utah Jazz. Isn't it nice to be undefeated? In I, any situation. I'm here alongside Ben Dowsett, who's the other voice you hear on the show today um, and every week. As you know, or may not know, we've got the radio show. This is actually going to be our last standard podcast for ESPN 700, or at least on this time. Um, then we're moving to the radio show starting next week, Thursday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. We will have a podcast on the other side of the week, eventually probably recording on Monday, so look forward to that. But, of course, you're probably more excited for the radio show just like we are. Of course you are. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got an exciting show today. First of all, we've got some rants from Ben, so I'm excited for that. And then we'll also have uh, David Neiman from Athlete Interactive join us. So I, I wrote a kind of scathing piece criticizing their PR efforts with Gordon Hayward um, this week. And so I, I wanted to have the other side of the story on it and, and talk with someone from Athlete Interactive to understand who they are, what they do, um, what happened with this Gordon Hayward thing, you know, how, were they surprised if it blew up, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll get into that with David. Um, but first, Ben, you've got a couple of, of reactions to what happened uh, media-wise in, in Jazz World this year. I do. This week, sorry. I do, and we'll probably we'll probably start on this and then maybe come back to it after we talk to David, depending on the timing. Um, th- there have been a couple of things in the relevant basketball news this week, uh, larger media-wise, national media-wise, that have kind of irked me and rubbed me the wrong way, and those who ever interact with me on Twitter will have seen some of my opinions here, and I'm going to kind of mold these into two issues, but I'm going to into the same issue, even though it's kind of two. Um, and I'm going to start out with uh, what most jazz fans have likely seen or, or or heard by now, which is the Bill Simmons and Jalen Rose jazz preview that they did. Um, I want to preface this by saying that my my level of of irkness here has nothing to do with Jalen and Bill predicting the jazz to be bad. That's I did too as did everybody. Uh, the Jazz are not going to make the playoffs. They're a really young team. They have a long way to go. I have no issue with that. I have no issue with them uh, even saying that certain individual players may or may not be good necessarily. But here's my issue. My issue is with these purported experts who speak to a large audience, a huge, huge audience, a much larger audience than us, unfortunately, in this case. <laughs> and I, in my opinion are irresponsibly covering the topics that they are paid quite, quite handsomely to cover. Now, I'm aware that my opinion may slightly differ from others here. My opinion on on this sort of journalistic integrity is that you need to be well-informed on a sport to cover it. For example... I played hockey my entire life. That doesn't life. seem unreasonable. It, it doesn't at all. Okay. I, I played hockey my entire life. I'm a massive hockey fan. I watch probably 175 NHL games per year at least. I watch all 82 Toronto Maple Leafs games and then at least a whole bunch of others as well. I don't consider myself qualified to cover the NHL despite that. I, I really do think that you need to be finally in tune with your game. I don't know the third-line players on some random team, so I'm not going to ever talk about that team. Even within basketball, while I consider myself a basketball expert, there are teams who I'm not going to go and opine about on a really high level because I just I don't watch them day in and day out, and I don't, I'm not informed on them. And when I say that, I'm I'm kind of bugged by the way, and I'm no, this is not just with this jazz preview. This is in general the 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 analysis coming from uh, from Bill Simmons and, and Jalen Rose, and I, I differentiate a little bit between the two of them. I, I find that it's understandable um, 
for those who do take issue with with Simmons and the biases that he has. You know, he's a, he's a big Boston homer, right? And he's you know he he's he picks his biases really early and he's really open about them. Which to me that's that's something. At least he's upfront and he's honest about it. You know the experience that you're getting into with him, right? Jalen, on the other hand, I feel is honestly is truly misleading a large readership slash viewership on Grantland. He masquerades as an insider, someone who's a former player and has connections and things like that. But, and I'm sure he does. But in in reality and in the opinions that you see come forth from him, and a bunch of really good examples within that Jazz preview, he's he's just badly informed. I think that's fair. I think you can you know evaluate Jalen Rose's. Analyst, analyst, whatever, analyst career based on his opinions that he throws out there. Exactly. And quite frankly, you're right. They're not good enough. And to me, it just it tugs at my sense of journalistic integrity that simply his personality and a, and a and former player and a good rapport with Simmons allow him such prominence while so many others, who many of whom I know personally, a couple of whom are in this room recording this podcast now, are more informed and are have these opinions that they're willing to share. I mean, Jalen, this is a quote from that. Jalen said, the issue is when you draft a player and someone on your roster is already better than him. That he, like, as if that's a problem. Every draft pick ever. I mean, yeah. you've, you, that's every draft pick except like two or three ever. Or, yeah. you know, maybe if you're the Sixers, you can... I, I just don't yeah. see uh, how that's a problem. It, it's a clueless statement. And it and just in general the way that and I'm, I, like I said I kind of there are times when I take issue with what Simmons is doing I, I it bugs me when he tr- pretends to be an expert on team like both of them in this case especially with the Jazz clearly aren't informed about the team and it bugs me that they're that if you don't know about somebody there's no shame in just not covering them that's fine you don't have to feel like you need to cover everyone but if you do if if you want to do an all 30 NBA teams preview you need to know about those teams and knowing about all 30 teams isn't that tough they should know that at Grantland because Zach Lowe's there and he does yeah he knows about all of well them. and and to be I mean Zach Lowe works incredibly tirelessly hard in order to do so but I, I I feel like you've got this talent over here Zach Lowe who could conceivably actually add some gravitas and 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 honestly informedness to yeah proceedings and, and they choose not to use them and I, I suppose that's just because they want to make it fun right they want to make the bill simmons and jalen rose thing fun but then they can't pretend to have serious ex- opinions you know like dante exum is a terrible prospect when just literally two months before bill simmons had gone on saying that dante exum he feels is the next kobe bryant yeah. all of a sudden the celtics don't pick dante exum and he's not kobe anymore he's mm-hmm. going to be l- worse than marcus smart he's going to be dominated he's and Marcus you know, Smart can't league. wait to defend him as soon as they get in the game. And yeah, it, a lot. You have just, to know how to pronounce Enos Cantor. Enos. You can't say Enos. Uh, it's <laughs> Sorry, just, I don't know. Enos. Oh man. Uh, and I, I, yeah, you know, and the the Exum stuff is completely ridiculous. Basing all those opinions on so little, pl- like we're we're supposed to be over here, not overreacting to a preseason, but the, but he's allowed to go out there. I'm I'm really worried about about. About Dante X and that part where they had the the doctor's coats on, you know what? In that part, I don't have any right to complain about that. Some people like the goofiness, some people like the comedy. That's totally yeah. fine. I'm totally cool with that. But if you want to brand yourself as a show, as a a bit of analysis, whatever that's being taken seriously by real people, 
that that actually care about the ins and outs and and the X's and O's and things like that. It, this isn't this isn't a, a goes against journalistic integrity to me. As, honestly, especially Jalen, the the guy is clueless. He does not. And I I apologize for for I, I think people know I've really never criticized another media member like this publicly before. <laughs> the, he this I just don't feel as though. It's responsible to the there are because you know how many how many views or whatever are they probably doing on that? There's a lot of people who are coming there for their source of NBA information, maybe before anywhere else, right? Right. Like this is the first stop they go, and they're they're getting this information. Like, oh, let's just let's just brush the Jazz aside, or and again, it's it extends far beyond the Jazz to me. It extends to a lot of the analysis that those guys do. When and like as you say, they got somebody like Zach Lowe in the house. He's I mean he's Zach's on retainer. I'm pretty sure Zach would have gotten on the phone or whatever they needed for the for that that NBA preview if they needed but instead they took a single question from him which I guess is their theme which is uh, which is fine I mean if you want to have a fun podcast then you can do it but I think then there's a way to do it such mm-hmm. that you're not you're not embarrassing yourself quite frankly I mean look at for example the men and blazers in soccer are you know they know all about their sport but they still have fun with it. Uh, the, or the starters, starters. on NBA yeah. TV, uh, yeah. uh, the b- former basketball Jones, again have a lot of fun covering NBA basketball. But they at least know what they're talking about. And you know, I disagree with them a lot of the times. But the truth of the matter is, at least they're not you know mispronouncing players' names. At least they're not you know completely flip flopping based on who was drafted when. I mean, it just it, stupid stuff like what your Jalen Rose quote earlier doesn't come out of those two. To podcasts, even though they're wonderfully fun, wonderfully entertaining, and really the good side of sports media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just in general, and we'll I think because we're just we're just getting ready to have David on here in just a second, right? Um, so I think maybe we'll go into the. I, I also wanted to, if we get time, kind of go into a little bit of the uh, the open court uh, analytics special that was done the other night with. Uh, uh, a number of former NBA players, including like, go ahead, no, go ahead and call it. I, okay, um, and it's it's to me down some of the same lines in terms of journalistic integrity. And I know I've said that phrase like four times now, and I really do believe in it. We're people like us, and to a much larger extent, people like those who are are national media members and who are extremely prominent and are former players that are on national television and everything like that. I believe that, and and sorry, I should I should preface this with the, the what happened for those who didn't see it, and you can go find it on NBA.com if you want. Just search open court or whatever, um, and it's a maybe a four minute or so uh, uh, roundtable on analytics among uh, all all sorts of former players that are current uh, TV personalities. They had Shaq and Reggie Miller and Charles and Chris Webber and the the whole gang, and to a man. That whole group ascent. They uh, the first quote, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, was Ernie asking. So, what do you guys think of the the analytics and all the advanced numbers? And I believe Charles was first, and his res- immediate response was, "I just think all that is stupid." That was the, <laughs> that was the first first thing to come out of his mouth, and it kind of only rolled downhill from there. The rest of the the segment was basically just these these professionals, these guys again, who are paid these exorbitant amounts of money to cover the NBA on an accurate basis basically saying that in there is no room no no room for analytics in the sport of basketball and 
going into various uh, various and sundry uh, ways of explaining it. Even Reggie Miller got into it, which was really unfortunate to me because I always kind of <laughs> thought of him as a little bit more uh, high level in Why? terms of the intelligence. I don't know. Have you listened to no, him? No, no. I knew he was. I knew he was goofy and sort of outlandish sometimes. But like, I'm outlandish, and I still kind of know what I'm talking about, right? I kind of <laughs> thought it was the same thing for for Reggie. I, I think we're gonna have to pause for a second to have David on, but we'll get back to this in a second. Okay, so we've got David Neiman on. David, you're the uh, well. First of all, I guess tell us who you are. You're with Athlete Interactive. Uh, yes, uh, my name is David Nyman, and Nyman, uh, sorry. I uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm the president of Athlete Interactive, and we are a uh, basically a digital branding company for professional athletes. So, first of all, tell us uh, your background and how Athlete Interactive all got started, and then I, I want to talk to you about kind of all the Gordon Hayward stuff that came out um, this week. Because really, I, th- I thought it was really interesting to hear from his perspective and, and um, you know, kind of the site went down and, and there's a whole post on Salt City Hoops about it. But I want to hear, first of all, um, the background of Athlete Interactive before we get into all of that. Uh, sure. Um, well, essentially, you know, uh, performance is probably the number one thing in terms of, you know, the value that any pro athlete brings to what they do because that's, you know, that's why they're valued. But um, next to that, how they're perceived is, the next most valuable asset that they have because the perception about them can kind of affect everything, you know, that they do, whether it's the value of their contracts, ability to attract endorsements, um, you know, post-career playing opportunities, all that stuff is affected by how they're perceived. And the truth is that most, you know, professional athletes, if you look at, you know, what they do in terms of how they manage how they're perceived, they don't really do anything and they kind of leave everything up to, you know, whatever the media writes or what fans write, or sometimes they use social media and post stuff hoping that people are going to see them in one way. And, you know, there are many, many examples of why that's not such a great idea uh, to do alone. So uh, essentially what we do is um, we work with athletes to have a voice in the conversation about who they are. We use a combination of really high-quality original content, um, which can range from everything like blog content, like you had for Gordon, to... Uh, we've had some award-nominated documentary film content, and we combine all of that with social media and um, you know, websites and other digital tools to help uh, tell their story and uh, you know give them a voice in the conversation about who they are. Um, and you know, as far as the company's background, I've worked in new media for a pretty long time, and and uh, but I also uh, was a sports writer, freelance sports writer, almost predominantly for the Washington Post for about five years. So, you know, I saw firsthand the way in which writing about athletes and how athletes were um, kind of portrayed in the media, you know, affected the way that, you know, people saw them and saw how powerful that relationship was and ultimately started thinking about, you know, how can athletes best use these tools that are out there for them, you know, which when we started the company really just consisted of kind of content websites, but have, you know, all that's kind of evolved quite a bit since then, uh, how they can use all of these tools to help themselves. And answering that question is kind of, been sort of the heart of, of what we've uh, we do and how we've evolved. So you guys work with clients from around different sports leagues. I, I mean, I know from the Jazz perspective, you've worked with Al Jefferson, you've worked with Darren Williams. Uh, how did you come to be to start working with Gordon Hayward? Uh, well, Gordon, uh, we just kind of uh, were in touch with Gordon from uh, the sports agency that represents him. And, uh, you know, they, you know, Gordon seemed like a perfect candidate for what we do. He's, um, you know, when you're trying to create content around an athlete, someone who really kind of buys into the idea of what you're doing and also 
who is really bright, you know, those two things, those are huge assets when it comes to trying to work with somebody to kind of help them tell their story uh, on an ongoing basis. And so, you know, we had spoken to him about Gordon. He seemed like a great candidate for, you know, what we do. And um, we just kind of went from there. And, you know, he sort of articulated, you know, different goals he had for himself in terms of uh, the kind of things he wanted to highlight. And we sort of said, well, you know, here are these things that we think you have to offer. You know, I think people would be interested in these aspects of kind of who you are on and off the court. And we kind of just went from there. So then, I guess, presumably, tell me about this post that happened this week. So how does that all come together? Is that something where you come to, Gordon comes to you and says, hey, you know, one of the things I'm known for is, my, you know, I'm, I'm good at video games. And so does he then write a post on it? Do you guys help him write that post? What uh, what's the kind of process as far as putting together this piece of content? Right. Well, he you know he has been interested in obviously in video games for you know a really long time. If you read the the, the blog, yeah. uh, you know you don't say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it goes on. There's 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 quite a bit about that in there. And um, you know, he when we first started working with him, you know, he had you know mentioned that he was really into gaming. So we had been kind of thinking about what's an interesting way that we can draw attention to the fact that he is into this. Um, you know, because he'd, he'd done a few things uh, on gaming before and been profiled a few times before, so it was kind of like, what's what's a new way we can bring in a different audience of people, um, let them know that that this is something that you know he really enjoys doing in his off time, you know, without um, making it sound as if he doesn't take basketball seriously. Because obviously, you know, as as two people who watch the Jazz all the time, I mean, I, I don't think anyone really who really knows the team would would ever question that. So we kind of set on this idea of, you know, the being the best in the game because, you know, he's probably, I mean, I don't know how many pro athletes play League of Legends. It could be five people or it could be 500 people. I have no idea. But uh, it just seemed like it wasn't so much of a stretch to say, well, you know what, he could possibly be the best, uh, you know, there is at playing League of Legends and all of pro sports. And that just seemed like a very funny kind of angle to take, at, you know, with the blog entry because, you know, if you set it up the way that we set it up with him, you know, it, it wasn't clear that that's what we were talking about, you know, as you read the blog entry for quite a bit until you kind of got through the first section of it. So um, in terms of how it was put together, we have a process for putting all these blog entries together, which essentially involves um, interviewing all of our clients so that everything is really uh, in their voice. And then from that point, it's an editing job. So, um, you know, everything that's in there for the most part, is from Gordon. You know, obviously the, the setup of it was something that we kind of gone over uh, together. But the, you know, 90% of that, are, uh, you know, once you get past the opening, is, is all him, and it's just all his his story. And it was funny, you know, he's got a very kind of wry sense of humor, so there was an awareness when we were talking about his gaming past and stuff about, you know, that we're talking about gaming, you know, so... Um, it just, I think, I think you know, the combination of him being really into it, um, having some, some kind of funny anecdotes to tell about gaming, and just having a sense of humor about it in general is kind of what made it all work. So then, and, and I agree, I, I think the post was really excellent. I mean, mm. if you read it, I think it kind of reveals something about Gordon Hayward. You know, maybe some of the hardcore fans in Utah already knew, but then in terms of kind of getting that part of his personality out there, I, I think it, it really worked. Um, and then, so you guys kind of put together the the image that you guys put on Twitter and Instagram, um, and and release it. What was it? Was it Tuesday? 
and yeah. it kind of all hell breaks loose. So, uh, the, and then the site crashed. The and site that... crashes. I mean, first of all, where does that rank in terms of a reaction to something that you guys have done for, for any client? Yeah, well, it, I have to say, uh, you know, the, the original plan was, just so everyone knows, there, we had three images, and we were going to roll them out, you know, over basically every 90 minutes just because of the way Twitter works, you know, so that people would be aware that this was out there, right? So we actually had, there, there was a first image, this is the one of LeBron, there was a second one that was posted much later, and I, I don't think, I think maybe a fraction of the people saw that had a quote about, you know, put any five players together that you want and, you know, I'll, I would, I'll beat them all, you know, pretty handily or something. I'm paraphrasing. But it was a picture of, you know, it was like the picture of the five starting members of the Western All-Star team from last year, you know. So it was even more ludicrous in some ways than the first, than the first picture. And then there was, a, there was a third one, too, of just Gordon. Uh, but what wound up happening is because the, the response was, was so immense, and it really was. I mean, I, it, you know, I was talking actually with uh, – <laughs> The hosting company, while we were trying to deal with some of the issues we were having the web, with the website, and they were telling me that it, you know, basically just blew everything else in terms of traffic that we'd ever done out of the water. Um, so you know, the response to it was definitely, it was kind of like your best case scenario, scenario times 100. I mean, I, I just, you know, we didn't really know, and you never really can know how people are going to react to stuff that you put online. Um, but, yeah, the, the response to it was, was pretty amazing. Am I the only one who like really kind of wants the Western Conference uh, All Star team from last year to all get League of Legends accounts and just kind of <laughs> to actually kind of watch this happen? Like I don't, I've never played the. Has, has either of you guys ever played the game? Like, are there no. your your character doesn't look like you, right? Like it's a you you pick a different character. Presumably, I, I'm yeah. assuming, which is I. Yeah. In my head, I'm envisioning like little mini like LeBron with a headband, like running around in a trying to kill like an elf or something, <laughs> and then go and Gordon Hayward like riding in on a, a, a white horse or something like that. I don't know. That's kind of goofy. Um, but d- going away from that a little bit, David, how did this this kind of the this blog post and with the way it ended up, and of course it may have ended up very different from how you guys intended it in the first place, just from the the crazy reaction that ended up happening, and then with the site going down, of course with the the kind of the message while the site was down the message going around twitter is like oh gordon hayward thinks he's the best player in the nba because for for people that miss the context of it right um was there any conscious sort of uh i'm assuming so sort of a conscious look to the future for for gordon's brand and what this what this kind of does for his the, the way people see him and and was there was there any sort of calculated part of that that goes into this uh, goes into this post well, you know, I mean, there was no real fear. I mean, I, even, even, I mean, if you just say that sentence aloud, I mean, you know, it, it just sounds, it, to me, it just sounds so ludicrous that, you know, that, that Gordon Hayward could, you know, I mean, Gordon is a great basketball player, but I think that, you know, you'd, you'd be really hard-pressed to find any player in the NBA who would be like, I'm going to be, I can beat LeBron James one-on-one. It just, it just sounds like the most preposterous thing in the world. So, I, you know, to me, there was no real fear uh, that that was going to be somehow be the thing that Gordon became known for because, um, you, you know, even, even when the site was down, because all, you know, all the site ultimately being down did was just kind of build even more interest. People are like, all right, well, what is happening here? Does, you know, has this person lost their mind? What is he saying? So, you know, and, and ultimately when it came back online, um, you know, it was just, it just helped, I think, actually, you know, build interest. And then, you know, there were 25 stories that were written about, 
um, you know, the blog post itself. So uh, there was no real fear. I mean, I, I think the worst, I mean, what's the worst case scenario is that, you know, Gordon uh, is in a game where LeBron scores 60 points. I mean, that could happen <laughs> anyway. You know what I mean? So it didn't seem like there was really any downside to it. And, you know, once people kind of found out, you know, what the joke was and, and you, you know, there, you, you can just go on Twitter and you can see there are a lot of people who were, you know, said any variety of, you know, Gordon Hayward is crazy uh, to, oh, my God, I can't believe I reacted the way I did to that. I just read the blog post. You know, I'm an idiot. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there wasn't there wasn't that much fear about it, um, you know, about some of the misperception that Gordon somehow thinks he's the best player in the NBA. That wasn't a big concern of ours. Were you surprised, though, at how many people, you know, didn't read the post or didn't take it as a joke at first? You know, how many people reacted that way on social media? Yeah, well, you know what's interesting about it is um, it, just in terms of a, almost like an experiment, it, the way in which people reacted tells you so much about how superficial in some ways social media just is in general, right? I mean, yep. you know, because it was the, 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 the uh, link to the blog post was right there the entire time. Anybody could have clicked on it, but people were so quick to respond to it. I mean, it shows you, A, that you know how, how what a challenge it is to get people to actually just go to read content in general, but b um, how in some ways narcissistic the whole thing is. Not that there was any question about that, but you know the fact that everyone wants to jump in and just you know slam him in response instead of actually seeing what it was about. I, I found all of that actually pretty interesting. Let me ask, and we're almost out of time for you, David. So I apologize. But what what's next for GordonHayward20.com? What's um, you know what's coming? How does this inform your future coverage on that site and, and what you guys want to do with Gordon? Well, I think the next blog post is going to be about how he's the best uh, athlete in, in the, uh, the galaxy, I think, will be the next one. Uh, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I, I, you know, the, the blog was actually focused, and if you, I think you guys have probably seen the previous entries. You know, there was a lot of stuff about his time with Team USA. There was stuff about uh, his off-season training prior to this, this particular blog post. And that'll be the focal point moving ahead. It's going to really be more on kind of telling, you know, the story of the season from his point of view. And, you know, one of the benefits, I think, of it is that, you know, having been a sports writer, you know, when you're a sports writer, there's kind of a distance between you and the subjects that you uh, are covering. And, and one of the benefits of kind of what we do is we can kind of eliminate that distance and allow Gordon to kind of tell fans uh, and, and also just other, you know, media people kind of what's happening throughout the year. So I think what people should be looking for would be, I think, some really great blog posts about uh, the season and how things are going, regardless of you know whether the Jazz are winning or losing and some of the challenges of all of that. And I think it'll be a, a really interesting way for people to follow along, uh, follow along over the course of the season. Well, David, thanks for joining us. That's David Nyman of Athlete Interactive. Again, David, thanks again, and, and keep up the good work. Hey, thank you, guys. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, I think, look, I, I wrote this piece that was pretty negative towards Athlete Interactive and how they portrayed Gordon Hayward. I didn't think it was that negative. No, I, I, I said, I mean, okay. So. You gave compliments while being scathing, and you're, and you're <laughs> true to your style, Andy. You can't truly be mean to someone. You have to give them compliments at the same time. Look, I mean, they, they clearly did their jobs in terms of promoting Gordon Hayward, and and honestly, they did have a lot of fun with it. And, and it does reflect Gordon's sly sense of humor, right sense of humor. It's just, you know, kind of poking fun at the media and and fans out there who can go a little bit crazy. 
But I do think that with all these people who didn't read it, all of a sudden they now think Gordon's this arrogant guy who, you know, really the opposite is the case. Um, it, whether or not that is really that important compared to getting Gordon's name out there is, is a question for marketing experts, you know, who actually get paid to do that. But I, I, I think it's an interesting question, though, how we treat, you know, player direct to the media um, or sorry, players directly to the fans kind of sources compared to players to media to fans uh, like this Players Tribune thing with the Blake Griffin article that was just released yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, in some sense, media is changing and I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And maybe that's just because I'm a you know media member. I, I'm used to the, the status quo, if you will. And I think in a lot of ways, these player-to-fan kind of things can go really well. And other times, I think it, it loses some of the journalistic integrity stuff that we were talking about earlier. We're all on journalistic integrity today. I know. This is weird. It's a very media-focused um, podcast. I think there's a lot of stuff in that realm to, to, that we're on right now. I think it's been a week where there's been a number of things that have both in Jazzland and in just sort of the larger overall picture that there have been some examples there. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what were your thoughts on the post? I, you know, in general, I've, I always, I admit, I, I care slightly less about <laughs> these things in general. Yeah. Like, this is why, you know, this is why, this is half the reason in 20, uh, apart from him being my favorite player, this is in 2010 why I was such a staunch defender of LeBron James after the, the PI or PR gaff. I watched too much football, sorry. The, uh, the PR gaff. Why? Why did people care again? I like. I guess I understand why Cleveland people cared. And yeah. but my, to me, my thing has always been, you know, barring issues where guys commit horrendous crimes, in which case, of course, they should go to jail just like any other human being should if they do those things. And you know, extenuating circumstances like that, I've I've never never cared as much what's going on off the court with the guy. But in instances like this, I honestly, I kind of just. I personally chuckle a little bit. I think that Gordon, in a sense, a very small sense, was kind of trolling all of us. I think he knew. <laughs> I think he knew people were going to read that first bit. I think he knows. I, I think Gordon's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. And of course, he's he's working with smart people as well. Uh, uh, in general, and over at Athlete Interactive as well. I think he knew that uh, uh, at least some portion of people are either not going to read it at all or are only going to read that lead. And are going to totally miss the point and are going to freak out and there's going to be a big conversation about it. And then there's going to be the backlash of people being like, hey, you guys should read the rest of the article. And then maybe they will. And that'll kind of creep into the public consciousness. I think he kind of played it really well that's, from that standpoint. That's true. If, if you look at it from the perspective of Gordon Hayward trolling us all. And if anyone knows what trolling is, it's probably Gordon Hayward with all of his gaming experience. Yeah. And... I, I, I think that's that's probably the best way to look at it. Like, I, I personally waffle because, you know, I, I wrote this post that kind of said, look, what they did was probably harmful to to Gordon's quote-unquote brand, which makes me feel like Darren Novell, which I, you know, <laughs> I, I, makes my skin crawl. <laughs> but I, I also kind of, some, some part of me is, is like you, Ben, and just wants to be like, hashtag everything's awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Like I, I just like at some point sports is fun and maybe I should get over myself a little bit. 
I can see, but I can totally see your point too. You know, and if this really did, maybe there's a portion of people that are that remain uninformed and still just think that Gordon Hayward was actually out there talking about how he's better than LeBron James, and maybe those people now have a somewhat negative perception. And you and you could be right. Maybe that in the the longer term scheme could affect his brand in some way. But to I guess to me, it's just not my realm as much. Yeah. So I that you know I, I think a little less of it. And for me, it's kind of just I thought it was kind of funny. I ch- I chuckled when I first saw it. Like, no, I I think that's reasonable. Let's. So I want to do the crazy trade idea of the week, but before that, I actually want to talk about basketball for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the Jazz, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, are 4-0, and um, admittedly preseason, and they have been playing their starters maybe more than even other teams have. But uh, honestly, the Jazz look really good. I, I think they're doing some really good things, especially on the defensive end of the ball. Um, I mean, I... First of all, what are your thoughts? And we can kind of get into this for a few minutes. I agree. And, you know, you get on and I'm on the Twitters a lot and everything like that. And there's a there's certainly a, a, a subgroup that's that kind of in some cases lightly and in some cases not so lightly criticizes those who who take too much from the preseason and from these small sample sizes and from action that may or may not really be relevant. And some of these people are, are people that are in my camp with the analytics things and, and things like that. In fact, a lot of them are. And th- to a point, that's very true. You can't. They've played four games. Whether or not it's the preseason, four games is a really small sample. That's true. The Sixers, remember, started out 3-0, 3-0 in the actual year. regular season last yeah, year. Yeah, in the real regular season. So like, and, and sample size is an issue regardless of whether it's the preseason or not. And yeah, the preseason is very different from the regular season. But as I wrote in the triple team last night, which was my first ever, by the way, and I was super proud of myself. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what I wrote there was that regardless of a sample size, it's better to be doing really, really good over four games than it is to be doing really, really bad. Right. Yeah. Like that's still better. And, and it should be pointed out the Jazz's preseason last season was one and seven. They won that first initial game and then lost the next seven and then, of course, lost the next eight regular season games. Yeah. That hasn't been the case so far this year. Yeah. And it's kind of about, for me at least, is looking as, as from a more analyst perspective, is looking at the things that the Jazz are doing that are more sustainable. Like... You know, Trey Burke's shooting 50% from three currently. That's not going to continue. That's the, right. Obviously, it's going to come down. But I do look at how confident does Trey Burke look when he's shooting the ball. He looks, he's going, the whole team looks extremely confident uh, made with their shots, with their actions, everything. They really, they look empowered, honestly. And that's, that's sustainable. That's a, th- you know, that's a, a... Is it though? I mean, look, the Jazz aren't going to be undefeated during the regular season. Eventually, they're going to lose, you know, three, four in a row. Will that confidence actually continue when that happens? I, I'd like to think that it will. And that's... that's... I'm less certain. Okay. I, I mean, I and honestly, I, I question whether or not, like, confidence is the most important thing in the world, like we say that it is. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know if that keeps up when... I mean, to me, the most interesting parts of this preseason have been when... The Portland Trailblazers or the Los Angeles Clippers have had their starters on the floor, and it actually looks like they're trying. I mean, uh, for some of that Clippers game, for example, you could see that you know Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, etc., were not turned on. You know, yeah. for whatever reason, they're not giving 100%. It's still preseason. You can tell that they think it's early. But then for these brief periods of time when you know Doc Rivers actually yells at them in timeouts and and starts saying, you know, this is where you have to start building yourself as a team. You could see that they turned it on on both ends of the floor, both offensively and defensively. And while I, I, you know, for example, the Jazz struggled in that Los Angeles Clippers third quarter, they also did well against the Trailblazers in those same sort of moments. So I think that's what we have to look at as as we analyze this team and figure out what's you know what's real here and what's not. Is are these minutes when they're actually the the starting the starting lineups for both teams, or you know those rotation level players for both teams, 
and um, you know when they're actually giving their efforts. Because honestly, the the veteran teams don't. I mean, look at how the Spurs are doing. They lost by forty last night to the Suns. <laughs> Did they even play any of their normal? No, they guys? didn't. To yeah. be fair, but yeah. you know, in, in the regular season, even when they don't play their normal guys, they, they end up winning games. Yeah. I, I mean, they with their normal guys, they lost to the, whatever international team. The Berlin team, remember. right? Yeah. Yeah. Arthur Berlin, like who? Yeah. They're even a nobody in European basketball. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, of course, we we, we really we're we're, not, we're trying not to take too much, and even my, my my statements before is you don't we're we're not going too far. We're not. This is no signal that the Jazz are going to be last year's Phoenix Suns, or that they're you know that they're going to massively exceed their win expectation. This is still a team that's got every single rotation piece but one at the age of twenty six or younger. The and. But that said, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily bad to take certain small positives from the way thing. But I now one thing I do totally agree with, and I another thing that I wrote in the triple team last night. I do. I do not want the Jazz to go undefeated in this preseason. I really, really hope they lose soon. Be and that's not because I want them to do badly, but it's because they need to start getting themselves mentally prepared for that scenario, which is going to happen a lot during the regular season. And you talk about. Is that kind of confidence and and what some of what we've seen is that going to be able to continue when they're on a four game losing streak or something like that? Yeah. And I think that's a it's a valid question and I think that the things like that can be some of what the preseason is for. Like especially for younger guys like this whose heads may be getting just a little bit big. You'd hope not, but at the same time they're young. Everybody's been young. It's it, sometimes it's hard to keep perspective on things. And you you I'm hoping there's a few more teachable moments kind of from the rest of this preseason where things maybe don't go so well. And the Jazz have to, they have to kind of contend with that and go up against that. I think that's reasonable. It's almost a shame that they have to play the Lakers again because I think that's just such an easy victory right now. Um, the team is so bad. They really are, which is lovely. As a, as a longtime Laker hater, this, this warms my heart. Is Carlos Boozer their best interior defender? Uh, maybe. I, invo- <laughs> I involuntarily convulsed uh, as Jordan I said Jordan Hill, that, so. probably? Is Jordan, he looked Jordan so Hills- bad. He looked terrible last night. Okay, uh, like I don't know. They, in any case, the, and, <laughs> Ed and Davis again, probably is. yeah. Okay, yeah, Davis. There you go. But oh, does man, he actually play? I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a real question with that team. <laughs> yeah, and it, as again, it's a it's a pretty bad barometer for whether or not the the for how the Jazz are doing in any situation. Like I even think playing that team in the regular season might end up being something of a bad barometer for how the Jazz are doing. If I <laughs> that's fair. from what I watched last night and again, yeah, it's the preseason and everything. But now okay and one other thing I will say, preseason summer league things like that, non actual regular season and playoff play, you den you tend to be able to gain way more from if some somebody or some team is like abjectly terrible. That's a good point. And th- like maybe if somebody's on a really hot shooting streak, of course that's not sustainable, but if a team just can't play defense and can't spring, string two passes together and can, and has seemingly no clue what's going on the court, you can glean a little bit more from that, at least in my opinion, and that's the case with this Lakers team. Absolutely. Their defense just looks miserable. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, both of their starting point guards, or, you know, top two point guards were injured last night, so there's that. But One of I, whom is like 70, and the other is, uh, you Jeremy know. Lin, who's, you know, yeah, an average NBA player. Yeah, average NBA player is a good way of putting it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, but having Ronnie Price run an offense is, is non-ideal. I, I think that's fair to them. But, you know, regardless of who's a point guard, they're still giving up a ton of points, and it's going to be difficult for them to win games when they're giving up 114 points or whatever. Yeah, Ronnie Price night. is probably better defensively than, than well, <laughs> definitely than Steve Nash. I don't know about Jeremy Lin. We'll that's see. But. I think Jeremy Lin's a little bit better than 
than Ronnie Price is. Ronnie Ronnie Price is not a good defender. Um, but anyway, I I love Ronnie Price, but he it's he's not. Um, let's go into the crazy trader idea of the week since we're nearly out of time. This one is not from any source, just from the our own imaginations. The only kind of inspiration for this was uh, Zach Lowe did his 33 predictions article that he does every season for Grantland this week um, and basically said something like, don't be surprised if the Hawks look uh, or at least look at shopping Al Horford. And as a, as a longtime Al Horford fan, and, and honestly, he's one of the most underrated NBA players out there just because of what he does on both ends of the court it is really special for someone his size. Um, you know, I thought, you know, if the Jazz want to make that leap in terms of becoming a, a better team right away, you know, we talk about when the right time is to make that win now trade, you know, maybe it's now. Maybe they look at this roster, look at this coaching staff and say, you know, if we had some uh, uh, honestly better front court players, then maybe it works out. So our thought is, and we kind of put this together, simul- uh, you know, dual cooperatively. Yeah. Uh, so our idea is Al Horford from the Atlanta Hawks traded to the Utah Jazz for Ennis Cantor. Sorry, Ennis. <laughs> and uh, Trevor Booker and the first round pick for next year. Unprotected, which, by the way, is a pretty huge asset which in, is harsh. Yeah. in today's league. Uh, but the the reason why is because Horford does still have two years left on his contract. He's a you know a, a, an all star level player. You have to give up a first round pick to get a guy like that, and yeah. you have to give up somebody that at least plays the same position as them and can kind of sort of replace some of their value, which both Booker and Cantor could potentially do. And I and I don't I I mean that is a big asset, and I think it is something that Jazz fans are kind of looking forward to as as this rebuilding thing happens. But honestly, if you can get an Al Horford out of it, who's twenty eight, you know the the Cavs just traded their last two first picks in the draft for Kevin Love. And uh, Kevin Love's a better player than Al Horford, but not by that much, I don't think. He is. I mean, I would say by a significant amount, but that's the the difference in price there is a significant amount. Yeah. The Jazz's first-round pick this year is going to be good, but there's no guarantee whatsoever that it's a number one overall pick, let alone two number one overall picks, let alone one of them who's considered in many circles to be like a really, really elite prospect, whether or not you agree with that. But Wiggins is thought of by a lot, by yeah. many, as like a, a next Tracy McGrady type of guy. And... Yeah, you know, I could see this as as being Atlanta. I, I agree with Zach. Atlanta is definitely going to kick the tires on things like that. Like their 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 roster is really malleable and open to a lot of potential movement, and I think they're going to look at stuff like that. And you know what? If the Jazz think internally, if their their evaluations internally are that they're maybe ahead of schedule from where people think they are a little bit, maybe Burks is is and favors and and Hayward are advancing a little more quickly than people think. And maybe they're made ready to make a, a sneaky run at an eight seed this year and to, to really try and contend next year. It's I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility. And if they were to think something like that, then giving up a, a, a short or longer term asset like a first round pick could be a viable move. Yeah, no, and I think it makes sense from the Jazz perspective because, you know, if they if they decide that they're tired of this losing thing, which you know, honestly I, I think a lot of people are just because losing is the worst. Um, and Atlanta looks at their roster and says, you know, we're even as currently constructed still a, you know, a way not getting home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs in the East. Uh, and I think it'll take a couple of months for them to figure that out. And honestly, they may impress people more than I actually, I actually think they're going to I like Atlanta a lot. I picked Budenholzer as a coach of the year. Huh. Uh, okay. 
So, I mean, and in order to be coach of the year, you almost... Uh, your team has to succeed. Your team has to succeed. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So, But if that does not happen, then I think they do, yeah, like you say, kick the tires on an Al Horford trade. And uh, the Jazz, to me, are, are a good are a good starting point there if they're if they are looking to rebuild a little bit and who knows you know in terms of the draft pick thing like yeah it might might be bad to give up a draft pick but we've also as we know we pretend have potential lottery reform coming and the lottery reform makes it a little bit more evened out across the the entire lottery and what if the jazz were supposed to get the fourth pick and all of a sudden drop down to having like the eighth or ninth pick you don't look so bad anymore there's a higher at least a slightly higher chance of that happening now which may change the calculus just a little and if let's say the Horf we did the deal and the Horford experiment didn't work out and maybe the Jazz weren't as good as they were hoping to be and didn't make the playoffs and things like that, that next year and maybe that happened again next year, they could still have a, ch- a, a better chance with this new lottery reform of getting a pretty decent pick the year the year after when they had their pick. Yeah, that's right? a good point. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, I think it could just as easily go the other way around. You know, it let's could. say the Jazz win thirty games next season and then you know they're in the seventh or eighth of the lottery and all of a sudden maybe they're moving up rather than moving down um you know i, I think it could go either way there but ultimately you i think you're right that this this could be something that the jazz look at when they're ready to make that sort of move yeah i don't i don't think it's uh i don't think it's totally unrealistic it's a bit crazy but it's, it's crazy, a crazy trade, trade, of trade idea of the week exactly. what do you what more do you want from us all right well everyone <laughs> thanks for listening to the show it's another good show again for us today thanks again for to david nyman from athlete interactive for joining us today um and explaining the gordon hayward bit bill simmons jalen rose you've been put on notice by our man ben dowsett since i know they listen to me religiously <laughs> Thanks again. Uh, oh, and please listen, um, our audience, to next week's radio show, Thursday, October 23rd, every Thursday, actually, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., right here on ESPN 700. Thanks again for listening. This is the Salt City Hoops Show.